All right, I think I think we're uh, we got a good chunk of people right. here. Um, we're ready. We're we're uh, let me go. give a let me give a quick announcement here, and then I'm gonna turn E. Michael Jones on, and we'll have it. All right, so welcome to the EMJ live chat on Telegram. Uh, I think this is the uh, the fifth chat we've had. Start off as kind of an experiment, and uh, people seem to like it, so we're keep going with it. Thanks for showing up uh, on this Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be having these every single Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as long as nothing comes up. Sorry about last week. Dr. Jones got caught in traffic or something. He was in Chicago, out of town. Tried to make it. Couldn't jump on. But that's all right. We'll just answer your questions uh, today. Um, <clears throat> I'm here, by the way, I'm uh, Mike Bajakis. I work for Dr. Jones. I run his media. I'm the general moderator here. Um, quick chat rules before we start. EMJ is going to start with a short talk um, uh, for about 15 minutes. Um, uh, and then after that, uh, the chat will be open for about 45 minutes. And at the end, uh, we'll answer some chats from the text if we don't get it from people raising their hands. Um, obviously, in the chat, we have the audio on, so uh, be respectful. Uh, don't, don't be trolling around here. Uh, try to stay on subject. If you can't, if you're not on subject, that's all right. You know, you got EMJ at your fingertips. You probably have a lot of questions. Uh, if you have a better one that happens to be related to the topic, go ahead, but try to stay on topic. And then limit it to uh, one question per person. Also, just a final reminder, um, uh, uh, if you're not subscribed to Culture Wars Magazine, subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine. That's our magazine. It's EMJ's magazine. Been going for over 40 years here. Strong, heavy. Fighting the culture war best we can. And then for the books, fidelitypress.org. You get all of EMJ's books at fidelitypress.org. All right, now real quick, let me, let's see, video. All right, we got the video, perfect. All right, and then Dr. Jones, you are on. The floor is yours. What do you have for us today? Hello, uh, welcome uh, once again. Uh, once again, I'd like to say that this is um, Primarily your show. It's your opportunity to uh, ask questions, so I'll give I'll defer to that. But uh, uh, just to get things started, I'd like to say a few words about something that's on my mind right now. Um, most of you know who Tucker Carlson is. He is the only guy worth listening to in the mainstream media. Uh, he's a, a little bit of an anomaly at Fox News, but uh, he just did a video on uh, the Great Replacement. Uh, which got him into a lot of trouble. The focus of that video was the Immigration Act of 1965, and he uh, went into great detail about how this changed the uh, ethnic makeup of the United States of America over the past uh, almost 60 years now. Now, uh, it was, uh, okay, it was informative. I'm listening to it. We'll listen to the whole thing. And as I'm uh, listening to it, there's this growing sense of dissatisfaction. I mean, as I said before, this is the best guy there is here uh, on mainstream media, and I'm getting the sense we're not being told the story. By the end of it, I was convinced we are not being told the story here. And the story I'm talking about is uh, the story of the Immigration Act of 1965. Yes, it was an important event. Yes. It did change the ethnic makeup of the country, but if you portray it in Tucker Carlson's terms, it's totally mysterious. And what are Tucker Carlson's terms? Well, it's basically uh, race. 
black, white. Well, that's not going to explain this. Why did the white guys sabotage their own operation here? Why would they do that? Once again, we are confronted with the inadequacy of the racial explanation as a way of explaining anything in American politics. Even when we have a history of racial divide, uh, it still doesn't explain anything. Why do I say that? Well, did he ever get around to saying who the sponsors of this bill were? We saw Teddy Kennedy featured a lot here. Uh, Teddy Kennedy saying how it's a great thing for America, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, was he one of the sponsors of the bill? No, he wasn't. He went along for the ride. Well, who were the sponsors of this bill? Well, in the Senate, it was Jacob Javits. And in the House, it was Emanuel Sellers. What are we talking about here? I hate to sound like a broken record, but we're talking about two Jews from New York City. And once we, that, become, that becomes obvious that these are the people behind this, well, the whole strategy becomes obvious as well. Because what are we talking about here? We're talking about a group of people that are always a minority, wherever they go. And because they are a minority, you can say it's either fear or loathing, but they always have some type of antipathy toward the majority culture. And they're always doing whatever they can to overthrow or undermine the majority culture. Now, this is, uh, uh, if you want a really good analysis of this that gets to the heart of the matter, I recommend Kevin McDonald's piece on the Immigration Act of 1965. He did a great job explaining this. Uh, he's a race man. Uh, but deep down in his heart, he's a Catholic, and he understands uh, basically the ethnic division in this country, and that comes out loud and clear in his analysis. So in other words, it was the Jews who did it. It was the Jews who gave us the Immigration Act, and the man who signed it was Lyndon Johnson, who was basically a pawn of the Jews and probably an accomplice in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. He was the one who benefited primarily from it. The, the Israelis benefited from it because Kennedy was going to shut down their nuclear reactor. That's a whole other story. But Johnson uh, uh, became notorious in this regard uh, to, uh, because shortly after he became president, we had the Liberty incident. The USS Liberty is attacked by Israeli planes uh, and uh, that were supposed to sink the thing as a false flag operation that was going to blame the Egyptians. And so uh, America would enter the war and nuke Egypt or something like that. That's the general plan. Well, it didn't work because the ship didn't sink. A number of men died. Uh, uh, Johnson, uh, the, once the uh, armed forces in the area found out about it, they sent jets to uh, protect the ship and attack the, uh, the Israeli planes. They were called back. Linda Johnson called them back because he was a total pawn of the Jews. And also at this time, he was uh, in bed with Matilda, I'm, I'm saying literally in bed with Matilda Krim, who was a Jewish agent, uh, who uh, was distracting him at the time of the, uh, of the attack. Now, if you put all these things together, you start to, a, a coherent picture starts to emerge of what is going on in our culture and why that that 1965 Immigration Act is part of the puzzle without which you cannot, if you don't have that part of the puzzle, you can't understand what's happening now or what happened between then and now. So uh, if Tucker were here, I'd ask him, uh, do you know this? Do you know what I just said? Now, there's evidence that he does know about this group of people because he was 
being interviewed by uh, the blonde lady. All these blonde ladies are uh, getting uh, crossed in my mind. But anyway, she uh, was it. Anyway, anyway, uh, she's being he's being interviewed and she says to him on her program, the ADL wants to get you fired, Tucker. And Tucker Carlson says, fuck them. Now, this gives me some indication, not only that he knows who the ADL is, but also how he feels about them. If he knows about the ADL and the type of things that they do, then why doesn't he know about the uh, Immigration Act? Because it's the same group of people, the same group of people who are doing that. So, again, here you have the best guy out there who can't bring himself to make sense out of something that is very important because he's not allowed to say that word. This shows you the the, the shortcomings of the uh, mainstream media, something you already knew, but something which came more apparent to me at this moment. Okay, the other thing that happens, so there's a situation, can't mention those names. Okay, so Charles Moskowitz uh, interviews me on Wednesday. Uh, he's a Jew uh, uh, from Boston, goes to a synagogue in Boston, and he calls me up and he says he wants to talk about my claim that uh, I said abortion is a Jewish sacrament. Well, he doesn't like that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, once again, here we're dealing with the exact opposite of. So there, this is now we have identified the group. And now he tells me, oh, it's not a group. It's not a group. They're left-wing Jews. I said, Charles, it's 140 Jewish organizations have endorsed the statement that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, and they're now saying that uh, if you prevent, uh, if you uh, ban abortion, you will pro prevent these people from practicing their religion. Well, no, that's not true. So here you have, again, the intransigence, the, 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 the magical disappearing Jew. You finally define the group, you bring it up to them, and then he says, no, no, they're not really Jews. They're only left-wing Jews. This is not true. Abortion is not a fundamental Jewish value. So one Jew now contradicts 140 different Jewish organizations because he doesn't want uh, the idea to spread that there is a group called Jews out there and that they act in their collective self-interest to the detriment of everyone else in the society. We had to learn this lesson in the expensive school of experience. And uh, I would say roughly 50 million young little people had to die. That shows you how expensive that school was. Those people will never come back. And if we don't learn the lesson that basically Roe versus Wade was the imposition of the Jewish religion on the entire people, all the people of the United States of America, then we deserve whatever we get. Sorry. Okay. Open the floor to the questions. All right. There we are. <clears throat> okay, guys. Uh, for those jumping on in, just a real a quick recap for you guys. This is... This is, this is E. Michael Jones live on Telegram. You guys have found us. Thanks for joining us. We're, we're here every Friday at 5. Uh, for the chats, don't be trolls. Stay respectful. Uh, try to keep it to one question. Try to keep it on topic. And we'll be going for about 45 minutes uh, with the chat. Uh, first, we'll hit the, the audio uh, for the chat, and then we'll hit the uh, text if uh, people can't get their questions heard. 
Um, and then when I when I click you to raise your hand, uh, remind yourselves constantly to unmute yourself uh, because uh, people quite often forget that. All right, hot topic is immigration, and here we go. Uh, Sophronios, we're going to let you speak. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hello. Hello. Am I audible? Yep. Hello. Can you hear us? Can you yes. hear me? Excellent. Uh, yes. Um, Dr. Jones, I am a I am a classical uh, Christian educator, and uh, I I teach uh, history, broadly speaking, from the perspective of uh, your book Logos Rising. It's a huge influence on how uh, how I. I've interpreted history and, and how I'd like my students to, to interpret history, but uh, there's still there's still a lot of um, sensitivity around topics like the Second World War. And if you were teaching a class to, let's say, high schoolers, and you wanted to give them source materials that uh, that they could read and uh, content that they could consume, what sort of things would you be uh, bringing into the classroom, what sort of uh, books or documentaries would you recommend to somebody in, in my position? There's a long, long documentary about the, the true history of World War II. And I wish I wish off the top of my head, I wish I could give you the citation, but I can't. Uh, that's that's where I would look uh, in terms of uh, his, history books, histories of World War II. They're, they've pretty much all been written from the perspective of the of the victors. So you're going to have to, uh, uh, I don't know, choose uh, uh, wisely. At this point, I would, I, you know, I'm, I would suggest uh, looking at those documentaries. Uh, if you want, if you want to get to the heart of the matter, uh, I have a book on the Holocaust coming out, uh, which will be to the Holocaust, will be to World War II, what Logos Rising is the history to uh, of of the whole. Uh, agenda, the, the whole uh, history of the world, history of the rise of Logos. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's what's going to have to, we're going to have to put these things together on an ad hoc basis because as far as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, no history has been written. So if you're, if you're going to deal with World War II, that's great. But please don't stop in 1945 because the war continued under different means. And you need to include things like the Morgenthau Plan. You have to talk about that. That is discussed in standard German history courses in Germany. So if you're not discussing that, you're not talking about that. You need to discuss uh, the resistance of Cardinal Frings after the war, the, the connection between uh, the Holocaust and Vatican II through Joseph Ratzinger. I have a review of uh, Zewald's book, Biography of Ratzinger, coming out. At this point, just off the top of my head, this is all I can recommend to you at the moment. Thank you. That's helpful. All right. Thank you very much for that question. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, Gboss88. We'll let you speak. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Okay. Am I, am I on? Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Uh, Jones, for letting me uh, talk here. Um, I think one thing that I'd like to discuss is, like, I guess the state of the country and all that. So, like, you know, over the years, like, I've been seeing a lot of things, you know, about, like, people talking about how we as Americans are going, you know, like, heading towards the Civil War and stuff, right? So, um, you know, I've been thinking about that. And, you know, I went on this trip to New York City this one time. And, you know, looking at New York and, you know, looking at how, like, uh, you know, degenerate and, you know, like, uh, disgraceful the city looks like, I've been thinking to myself, you know, do you think that, you know, this country can be able to, like, you know, get back to its, like, roots through means of peace? Or do you think that this country is, like, we're, like, just, like, the only way we can get back to, like, a proper civilization is, like, we can't even, like, go through, like, violent, uh, a peaceful means anymore? Yeah, well, that's the big question, isn't it? And uh, yeah. it, it, it depends on, I've used an analogy before of uh, sitting in the front seat of a car with a maniac at the steering wheel who's uh, clenching the steering wheel, driving the car off a cliff. I think that's the situation we're in right now, especially in the Ukraine, which is a very dangerous situation. Now, at some point, the adults are going to have to step forward and take control of this operation here. But it's not going to happen unless we can identify the people who are responsible for getting us into this mess. That's what we have to do. We have to have the courage to speak up and name the people who are responsible for this. We also have to pray because this is in God's hands. The empire is coming to an end one way or the mm -hmm. other. It's, it's the question is, is it going to be a violent end or is it going to be a peaceful transition to the American Republic? The first thing we have to do is drive these people out of office. Now, that's that's easier said than done. And who are these people? Uh, Victoria Newland, uh, the Kagans, all of these neocons who run our foreign policy and who have gotten us into one war after another. Now, is this possible? Yes, it's possible. Jeffrey Sachs, hardly a saint in this regard, uh, the Jew who basically orchestrated uh, the looting of Russia has apparently had a metanoia, and he's saying exactly what I just said. We have to pry the hands of the Newlands, uh, the, the neocons, off of this steering wheel before they go off the cliff. And we're not going to do it if we're constantly pulling punches and talking about Democrats and Republicans. It's not going to work. We have the courage to have the courage to say these are the people responsible. They have to be removed from power. There's no alternative to this. The future of the world depends on it. The future, certainly the future of Europe depends on it, and also the future of America. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right, next question. Uh, mastermind, all yours. Don't forget to unmute. Well, hello. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you, Mr. Jones. Um, I have a simple question. What do you think of um, uh, the leader of Lucy, Louisiana? I don't remember the name. In the fifties, um, the the king. Do you remember? Uh, it's about time to forget. <laughs> um, the king of Louisiana. Yeah, like uh, I can't remember the name right now. Like he was um, very a very popular democratic uh, 
from the Democratic Party, um, leader of Lucy. Oh, oh, you mean, you, you mean Huey Long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kingfish. The Kingfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great Sorry. populist leader. A great populist leader. If you want to read the establishment version of uh, Huey Long, read All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren. And you will see uh, something similar to what Tucker Carlson just did, which is basically distract your attention by a much a, a, a good, no, a great novel, I would say. Uh, but one that distracts your attention from what was really going on, which is basically that Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, felt threatened by Huey Long. And because he had sent out a survey through the American postal system, and it looked as if in 1936 he was going to lose the election. Uh, uh, that means that Huey Long was a threat, and that means that somebody was hired to kill him. Uh, that we've, No one has ever gotten to the bottom of that thing. It was a Jewish doctor who killed him. Whether he was connected with uh, uh, the Roosevelt administration is something that I can't say at this point. But he certainly had, they certainly had the motive. And this was the beginning of the attack on all of those populist leaders in the middle of the country who opposed the oligarchs in, in uh, finance oligarchs in Washington and in Wall Street. Uh, and one by one, they were eliminated one way or the other. And to the point where uh, the final coup d'etat, the final blow came with uh, the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. And that was the end of America first. I'm hoping one of the things that happened yesterday in that discussion with uh, Charles Moskowitz is I said, this is the end of Jewish hegemony. And he said, yes, that would be a good thing. So I was surprised to hear that. But uh, that's the opening that we have with Roe versus Wade, uh, where Louisiana can now come back and start uh, making its own laws that represent the people there. But again, what the, the, the primary issue is the one we've already discussed. The rising star is now Ron DeSantis. Well, guess what? He's every bit as much in the pocket of this group of people as Donald Trump was. And we don't need a repeat of that disastrous foreign policy under Donald Trump. So uh, not as disastrous as the Biden foreign policy, but disastrous nonetheless because of the opportunities this man had, which he blew because he was interested in uh, representing Israel and not the people of the United States. So that's the situation. Uh, Huey Long was a, a forerunner. Uh, a, a, a model uh, that uh, can serve uh, the people of Louisiana so they can reelect someone. Maybe David Duke will run again. Yeah, a model for Catholic leaders. Uh, he was he's not a Catholic as far as I know, but he could be a model for a man who died representing the interest of his own people uh, killed by the oligarchs. Oh, well, well uh, thank you very much, Dr. Jones, and sorry for my forgetfulness. You're welcome. All right. Next question. Uh, Gottfried Fetter, all yours. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Gottfried. Perfect. Sorry about that, mm -hmm. sir. I appreciate your time. I'll make this quick. Do you believe that the uh, soon be liquidity crisis, our debt crisis into a liquidity crisis and leading to the hyperinflation of the dollar? will lead to the church having more influence uh, in Europe as Jewish influence or the dollar's influence is pretty much ended or changed with a multipolar um, financial system? I don't think the financial system is the cause of the problem in Europe. 
I think that the cause of the problem, if you want to know what the problem in Europe is, you have to look at Germany because Germany is basically the de facto leader of the European Union. It is the strongest economy in Europe, and they have been ruined by sexual liberation. That's the problem in Germany. It's got that German Senate is a disaster. The Zinodel Weg, as they call it, is such a disaster that even Pope Francis had to denounce them uh, publicly for basically abandoning the church. They, they have abandoned church teaching. This, this is a, a, a lesson for all of us about the devastating effects that sexual liberation can have on a culture. The Germans have totally internalized the commands of their oppressors, and now they are in the position, they are actually implementing the Morgenthau plan, the, the Jewish plan to starve the Germans to death, to destroy Germany as an industrial country. The Germans are doing it to themselves now. So if you're asking me uh, if it's the... Uh, uh, if it's the financial, the, uh, the financial system, usury, that's certainly part of the problem, but that's not the main problem in Europe and Germany. Well, God willing, sir, the logos through history will uh, turn those sinners to saints and uh, God willing, this will happen uh, soon and the Germans will uh, turn around. Thank you for your time, sir. You're welcome. All right. Uh, just real quick, real quick reminder for everyone. Our topic is immigration. We do allow getting off topic, but if anyone has uh, good questions on immigration, don't uh, be afraid to jump in chat real quick and ask those first. Okay, next, Citizen X, the floor is yours. Don't forget to unmute. Hello, Dr. Jones. Yes. Hi, I met you before and your wife, Ruth, at a uh, Catholic interracial traditional Latin mass wedding. So only you will pretty much know what that means, but uh, just wanted to- Wait a minute, was I, did I attend this wedding? Yes, you did. Okay, so I think I know who I'm talking to. Yes, it was a great wedding. Uh, thank you. Um, my question for you, as far as the whole immigration, the America first kind of deal, what do you think of Nicholas Fuentes? Is he the real deal or is he kind of missing the mark? I'm curious to get your thoughts. Here I am. Uh, who am I? Who am I to judge? <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind. Nick, Fu I met Nick Fuentes in Chicago. Uh, we just we were, we were going to go out to a bar, but he he was too young. He couldn't drink, so we couldn't go to a bar. So you're talking about a guy who's very young, whose heart seems to be in the right place uh, because he's uh, espousing America first. But uh, you know, God God bless him. But the point here is that you have to have a, a certain depth. A perception here, uh, and if you spend all your time, if you spend five hours a day on the on the uh, talking to people, you're not going to have the time to do the research, and you end up being swayed uh, by things uh, that you should not be swayed by. That's about all I can say uh, at this point. No problem. I was just wondering because I, I looked for material from you, and uh, I've, I've encountered his material a bit, and I was just wondering, yeah, where you draw your material from as well. Uh, I draw it from uh, uh, 40 years of research, <laughs> close to 50 years, beginning with my dissertation. I found myself, I'm doing now uh, an article on a house in California that draws on a lot of the material that I studied when I was uh, getting my doctorate in American literature. So, yeah, it's you do this for 40, 50 years, you build up a kind of basis that uh, allows you to see the big picture and not just be a hammer where everything's a nail which is usually what people are. They have one idea, and that at that point, everything 
uh, has to fit into that lens. And if it doesn't, you know, then it doesn't make sense to people. All right. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, I wish you and your wife, Ruth, all the best. Sir. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you and your wife, too. All right. Good question there. Next up is going to be Isaiah. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hey there. Um, I was wondering if uh, you had um, much to talk about as far as like the unions and what happened to the unions in the United States. Um, you know, with them uh, <clears throat> going extremely left in their politics and um, supporting um, morally left um, policies. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I just I just did a piece on uh, the working class in Michigan and uh, the role that uh, marijuana legalization has played in the d disruption of the workforce in Michigan. So you're talking about uh, uh, basically uh, an idea that never really had deep roots in America. The, the unions were always considered bad. Uh, because the oligarchs the, were represented, they, they owned the factories, they didn't like people stopping work for high wages, and so it was a battle. It was the fundamental issue uh, at the end of the 19th century. This is the reason that uh, Pope Leo XIII wrote uh, Rerum Novarum. Uh, it was basically a talk about unions. The, the work, it was called the workers' question at that point. It was the thing that was tearing the country apart, we're talking about roughly uh, uh, 25 years before uh, the Bolsheviks took over in Russia, uh, before communism became a world movement. And the, one of the first things that the communists tried to do in this country was to infiltrate the unions. So there's a battle here. And the church was in the battle, especially after uh, Quadragesimo Anno came out, uh, which was the, uh, the, the, the 40th anniversary of uh, Rerum Navarre. We're talking about Catholic social teaching. Uh, which is all, uh, uh, basically saying that the worker uh, deserves a fair wage or, or a family wage. The family wage is the criterion for whether the wage is fair or not. All of these things were part of discussions that were taking place in America in the 1950s. I remember them as a child. Remember the father of one of my friends having meetings with a Jesuit who brought labor and management together so that they could cooperate. That's that's the goal. That should be the goal. But what happened over the period of time is that the unions got corrupted like everything else. So you have instances of like, okay, we're going to, the union's going to give you, uh, buy you uh, birth control pills. Oh, that's a great idea. And so you see basically in 19, 1973, you see a turn away from the pro-labor stance that the government had pretty much after uh, the Roosevelt administration. And you're seeing the rise of libertarian economics, which was a disaster for the country, disaster for the unions, disaster for everyone. Libertarian economics is basically oligarchic economics. And so they will give you uh, freedom uh, to do what you shouldn't do in exchange for not giving you a raise. So uh, Michel Foucault is a manifestation of this. Give us uh, the gay disco and we won't ask for a raise. That is the whole story of the new left uh, as of now, has been the story ever since the 1970s. The 70s were the rise of uh, the culmination of the 70s was 
the Reagan-Thatcher era. What's the first thing that Ronald Reagan did when he came to office? Busted up the traffic controllers union. What's the main thing that Margaret Thatcher did when she was office? She busted up the coal miners union in, in, uh, in England. With, with examples like this, the unions are going to be on hard times. If you, if you make it impossible to join unions, you are driving wages down. If you drive wages down, you will, you will destroy the workforce. And that's exactly what happened over this period of time. The culmination being Michigan. The story I tell there is of a man who uh, came from uh, Elkhart. Uh, uh, his father came from the South to work in the RV factories of Elkhart, uh, at a certain point, he should have transitioned into the workforce, but instead he got a bad dose of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which disrupted this crucial transition from one generation to the next in the workforce. And he became a crusader for marijuana legalization. And the net result is the, 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 the war that Wall Street and Washington waged on America first, now turned into a war on the workforce, the workforce in Michigan. Uh, they were perceived as enemies. They were demonized as white people. And as a result, uh, you are now seeing the demise of the great manufacturing base of the United States of America. It's a long, complicated story, but I mean, that's the gist of it. And uh, if we want to return uh, to uh to the to prosperity, we're going to have to start remunerating labor for what it's worth. And that means uh, promoting unions as well. All right, there we are. Uh, next question. Let's see who we want. Uh, Swend, you're next. Don't forget to unmute. Hello. Yeah, in regards to immigration, I had a question. Uh, I think the whole factor of why this is happening in America right now, it's specifically linked to the progress of family relations in America for the past uh, 40 to 60 years, uh, specifically the liberalization of women, right? The, the third wave feminism, precisely the first wave feminism, when it was encouraged for women to not go to work, sorry, to go to work and to stay more time there. And well, to have children at 35 years old, and this caused a tremendous drop in birth rates that has to be subsidized by importing a lot of workforce from other countries such as Mexico and Central America. Yes, you're absolutely right. That is exactly what happened. And the, the immigration bill was, was part of it. To, to draw back, uh, to get the big picture, about what I just said about drug legalization in uh, in Michigan, about the promotion of feminism, which is basically doubling the workforce, which is a way of dividing, uh, lowering wages by half. Uh, all of these things uh, can be located uh, in in artistic form in a book written by Aldous Huxley called Brave New World. Uh, Soma is part of uh, is a drug that is being promoted in the brave new world that will keep people docile and happy. Uh, but the main the main uh, sex is also a way of keeping people under control. Huxley says that pleasure is always a better control mechanism than pain. Uh, disagreed with uh, Orwell in 1984 about his idea of uh, the Soviet Union as the form of control. All of these things can be traced back to one issue in Huxley's mind, and that is uh, repro reproductive 
uh, irresponsibility. I think that's, I may have gotten that wrong, but that's the gist of what he's saying. In other words, people are having too many children. So what we need to do is to drive down the birth rate. That has remained constant from then all the way up to this day. The only thing that has changed is the means whereby to do it. And that has had a disastrous effect on this country. And that has to be made public. And we have to be able to fight against these things. We have to be able to name the real issues. This is certainly one of the real issues. You know, you're going to you're going to promote birth control and abortion among the native population to destroy their culture, to 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 destroy their families, to destroy their demographic power. And then you're going to replace them with a group of immigrants who don't know anything about anything and can be easily swayed because they are basically culturally deficient in the United States of America. They can't even speak the language. Okay. That's the plan. That's that's what we have to reject. We have to go back to the the principles, uh, American principles, like uh, being a country that manufactures uh, manufactures things. We have to go back to a country where uh, the, the Constitution only functions in the uh, in the uh, people who have uh, can impose the moral law on their own behavior. If we don't do this, we'll end up being total slaves, uh, ruled by uh, Jewish oligarchs. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Uh, uh, Miguel, floor is yours. Do not forget to unmute yourself. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, Mr. Yes. Jones, uh, off topic here, but I was wondering if you uh, think uh, horror as a genre is uh, still fighting enlightened values uh, right now. Modern day horror. Did you say war or horror? Horror, horror sir. Horror. Sorry, my horror. accent. Horror. Is it horror still is... fighting enlightenment values? Horror is not an enlightenment value. Horror is the opposite. Horror is the result of putting enlightenment principles into practice. That is the thesis of my book, uh, Monsters from the Id. So the classic example of that would be um, uh, Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein. Her father was a revolutionary who wanted to, uh, who was a fan of the French Revolution, wanted to do something like that in England. She was raised uh, thinking that marriage was the most odious of all monopolies. And when she put that into effect, it had ca catastrophic consequences for the people around her, most notably uh, Percy Shelley's wife, Harriet. Uh, Shelley showed up, fell in love with her, and dumped his wife, who was 15 years old at the time, and the wife ended up committing suicide. This is not supposed to be part of the plan of sexual liberation, according to her father, uh, Mr. Godwin. Uh, but that's the result, uh, nonetheless. So horror is not a, 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 an enlightenment value. Horror is the consequence of the implementation of enlightenment values. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Dr. Jones, I think part part of what the, uh, the previous caller was asking is like, is is there anything current, any any current horror that's still fighting Enlightenment values? Is that still something that horror film is doing to this day? Uh, as far as I know, there are no horror films. Mm -hmm. the, the that, that, of... that that just that disappeared. So the horror film began at the end of the 1970s. I mean, there there were 50s horror films. 
Okay, there were 30s horror films. There's always some type of horror film which is talking about something over the cultural horizon that people can't talk about. So the first Frankenstein movie was done in the 1930s. It had something to do with uh, the rise of fascism in Europe and, and how to deal with that. The second uh, era of horror films was the 1950s, which was basically the reaction to the CIA takeover of our, our government and the fact that they were in, uh, uh, had programs going that were uh, dangerous and no one knew who was doing them. Uh, invasion of the Body Snatchers is an example of that, uh, that genre. Uh, uh, but the third uh, era was the 1970s, which was basically where horror was the reaction to the sexual revolution of the 1960s uh, and early 1970s. And so I said, Alien, uh, a movie came out in 1979, uh, I've said before, is the sequel to Deep Throat, the pornography, the porno film that came out in 1973, I believe. Because that was about oral sex. Uh, Alien is about oral sex and how it can kill you now. It's not fun. It's not funny anymore. It's dangerous. And everybody was so relieved to know this that they all flocked to movies. And we had a genre of horror movies for about 10 years. Uh, more or less after that, uh, most of them uh, using Giger's monster, much to his dismay and, and disgrace, he complained to me about that when I interviewed Giger was the guy who created the, the uh, that slimy monster who was the monster in Alien. But you had the Scream movies, which became uh, satiric after a while. That has it's run its course. As far as I know, there are no horror movies now. It's it, the genre is dormant because. Well, for various reasons. The the last the last horror movie I saw that seemed to be pretty good was It, the, the remake of It. And and what I could gather from it, if we're going by your thesis of this, this is a subconscious expression of something going on, is I, I, I feel like It could have been about pedophilia. You have this evil clown who's hidden, who's preying on children, snatching them away. Grooming. It, grooming. Yeah, it's grooming. It's pedophilia. It's yeah. some creepy guy hiding somewhere going after kids and, and i feel like the last couple commercials I've, i can just because i haven't seen these i haven't seen movies for years horror films you're, you're correct i feel like it's kind of kind of that it's, it's like some kid getting captured someone be, being stuck in a in the basement somewhere and there's a, a weird guy with a mask it, it maybe that's where it's at now yeah essentially. art art is imitation of nature it has to deal with reality uh, even if it's uh, distorting the view and that's why you have films like this the Horror movies deal with reality. They deal with the reality of guilt that flows from things like uh, sexual immorality uh, and abortion. It, it, it's an uh, it's Alien 2, the sequel to it with uh, Sigourney Weaver. It's about abortion. It's about guilt over abortion. The monster is this breeding female thing. And the whole point of uh, what the uh, Zucorny Weaver has to do is a heroine now. She has to kill fertility. Well, she can only do that by killing herself. This is the irony of all of, all of these movies. So in many ways, I've said this before in other contexts, but art can say things that uh, the philosopher doesn't understand in many different ways. And, and I think horror movies was one of them. All right. Very good. Okay. Uh, here we are. Let's see who's been around for a while. I think, uh, Cheb Cheb, you've been there for a bit. Let's let you speak. Don't forget to unmute Cheb Cheb. Dr. Jones, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. 
Awesome, awesome. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and I'm, I'm glad I get to do it tonight. Um, I am currently, I, I'm an American, and I am in Moscow right now. Moscow, Russia. There are two things. One thing I wanted to mention, and then my question. Um, I've been following your work for a while, and one thing I've, I've, no, I've realized from talking to people out here is that they're very aware of who the oligarchs are in Russia and where they're from. They're aware of who made up a large part of the revolution in 1917. They're aware of who's running the government in Ukraine. They're aware of Navalny's background. Um, and another thing I noticed while here is that the government here functions like a good monarchy does to where it it is a it functions as a great restrainer it protects the people from the from the aristocracy from the oligarchs and i've seen like oh wow in america the government doesn't function like that back home the oligarchs essentially run the government so i i guess my question is is it possible that america could get to a place to where the government could get into a position to where it can protect the people from the aristocracy? And if it's even possible, what do you think it would take for America to get to that place? Yeah, well, that's a scary question because the, the implication is that it could take uh, a nuclear war to bring this country to its senses because that's generally the situation. Uh, it, it has to be some type of catastrophe that brings about the fall, not only the fall of the government, but the fall of the regime. I'm talking about something like what happened uh, in East Germany after the fall of communism, the fall of the Berlin Wall, when suddenly they, they opened up the archives and started talking honestly about what happened. Something similar happened in, in Russia after 1991. A, a, good, a good film in this regard, it's hard to watch, but it's called The Chekist, uh, about the Cheka. They did it right after, pretty much right after the fall of communism, because I think that the Russians felt we have to deal with our past now. We have to talk about this group of people. The Cheka being the, the secret police, the extraordinary committee to combat uh, terrorism and counter-revolution. This was created one month after the October Revolution, November 1917. It was a group of people. It was Jews because Russians wouldn't torture other Russians. A few Latvians thrown in for good measure, but it was mostly Jews because they had they reviewed they viewed their fellow Russians as subhuman. This is the lesson that Putin tried to teach America. He said at one point that what happened in Russia in 1917 is now happening in America. He didn't say the word, but it's pretty clear what he's talking about here. The Jews took over Russia and they created a horror story for 70 years and then it just disappeared. They've taken over the United States of America and uh, maybe we will have to uh, live with them for a, a few more years, but we're not going to get anywhere until we address the problem. This is the problem. And so, you know, God bless the Russians for understanding the problem and God bless them for dealing with it in a uh, more or less effective manner. And thank you for telling me this story, giving me this perspective, 
because I constantly hear from people who say, oh, there's no difference between Putin and Joe Biden. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And if you think that they're both run by some type of super oligarch uh, uh, on top, I don't I don't believe that either. This is a real conflict, a real conflict. Uh, one side has decided uh, to stand up to the gay disco in the Ukraine. And we all know who runs the gay disco. It's the guy, the uh, the uh, the Jewish piano player by the name of Zelensky. So thanks for sharing that. No problem. And uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time. You have a great day. All right. Um, where were we? Ah, yes. Uh, Daniel Stone, the floor is yours. Don't forget to unmute. Good afternoon, Dr. Jones. How are you today? Good. Good to hear from you. I've been enjoying listening to your uh, your discussions with Peter Helland on his YouTube channel. And I've been uh, I'm not a Catholic, but my uh, my views very much align with yours, especially regarding the the last caller's uh, outlooks on the Russians. And uh, I've uh, been doing some about takes, uh, having been raised in more of an evangelical Christian upbringing. I've been having to do some about takes and also some passing along of information to my parents and my family. And uh, I think even my father has been doing some about takes in the last year. He's involved in the medical field and uh, his career in such has been basically turned on its head and everything he was taught in medical school about treating the patient with the utmost of care, even if it means going against what he was taught because the best solution for the current position and I've wondered if maybe that same outlook on things politically, whether it's in within the West or globally, um, doing what we think is the right thing might only continue kicking the can down the road, not stopping the problem. It's like you can push the boulder down, down, you know, down the road a little bit, but it doesn't remove it from the road. And we know who the boulder is right now in the Western governments you know, leading us astray. And I've wondered if there's a better way than allowing the masses, many of whom are woefully uninformed and maybe willfully ignorant, perhaps. Um, I've wondered if you could say pulling, pulling a Putin and doing things the strong arm way, while it might upset the apple cart short term, long-term the stability that can be brought by you could say taking action and i'm not saying this is what i I want to happen but you know heaven is not a democracy you could say heaven no uh, no, i think we have to do everything within our power to prevent this war from happening and in that we are the ones the united states nato these countries they're the ones who can do it because they are the aggressor in this war in the Ukraine. The Russians are not the aggressor. They are defending their country against aggression, against NATO aggression. As soon as this this country has to stop sending weapons there, stop sending weapons to Ukraine, because all you're doing is killing people in a hopeless, pointless battle that is lining the pockets of people like Zelensky, who is willing to spend to uh, fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood. And then he'll hop out and go to one of his mansions in Miami Beach or something like that. We have to stop sending that 
those weapons over there. We have to break with the past, break with the support of Israel, break with the, all of these dual citizens who are running our foreign policy. We have to do this. What, one question uh, to you, though, is, is your father a Christian Zionist? Uh, his, his upbringing has been such that um, seeing the political, what, what I believe to be simply a political state of Israel and not the true biblical Israel, as you and Peter Helen have basically come to recognize that the Christian church is the new Israel. And the political state of Israel, while it might have some significance possibly in the future, this is my opinion, um, you could say the land, I think that the, you can burn down the church, but the church is the body of the people that are meeting within that building. And just like it can be, a church can meet within, you know, a house, it can also meet anywhere that they, that they want to. But uh, addressing your question directly, I think his, it's hard for him, I believe, to break with what he has been taught. And whether that, you know, uh, that's about Israel or, or other things. Um, I think the more information I try and bring to his attention because of the information sources that I like to look at, and that's looking past Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker Carlson is a great introductory source to bring people to awareness of things. But, you know, it's kind of like a baby going from milk to solid food. Um, right. You want to stay in an infantile state when it comes to knowing the truth about the world and who runs it. Or do you want to start chewing and using the teeth that God gave you? Because yeah, the hour, the hour is getting late. We're going to have to start uh, uh, acting on what 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 we believe. But I, I, we have a moment of opportunity here because precisely what the precisely because of what the Jews are doing right now, uh, saying that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. I think I have a, one of my sons lives in Oklahoma. Classic example of what I'm talking about. One of the strictest abortion laws in the country. At the same time, one of the most pro-Israel states in the country. That's a contradiction. That doesn't make any sense. And what we're seeing now is a way to think our way out of this contradiction by saying, well, what kind of religion is this? Wait a minute. Stop, fellas. What kind of religion is based on the, uh, the uh, murder of innocent children? I, I know. Is that a, is that a religion that we should we should emulate? Is that a religion we should dialogue with? The Catholic Church has spent fifty years dialoguing with a group of people who believe that abortion is a fundamental value. Are they going to change now? Or are you going to go down that path uh, until uh, uh, until uh, it makes no sense whatsoever? These are all consequences. I think that we need to draw. Uh, out of the moment that is being presented to us and in discussions with people who may be living according to these outmoded ideas uh, like uh, Christian Zionism. Peter Helen was once a Christian Zionist because everybody in Indiana, south of South Bend, is a Christian Zionist. That, that's what it is here. And he awoke to that fact, and now he's we're talking a different story now. I've noticed that when... Uh, Myself, especially, because one, um, I, I, I had the opportunity of getting to know a young lady from South Africa of, of Dutch and German ancestry, and her family's been in South Africa for uh, well, probably since the late 1600s. And so, so she has grown up within that culture, currently still lives there, 
But those few years of a long distance relationship and my traveling there, it, it kind of woke me up to the reality of who Nelson Mandela really was, who Winnie Mandela really were, and the people that they ran with. You know, that's right. A and, good, and, a good, a, a good example of someone who knows that is George Galloway, the guy hmm. with the Scottish accent who's uh, yeah. got his own program over there. He said uh, basically it was the Jews who were fighting against apartheid. The Jews created a revolution in South Africa that has now basically disenfranchised the the, the Boers and their descendants. Well, it's funny because when I was there the last time, I, I recognized that something in the world was changing. This was circa 2018, and I'm self-employed. I live in Southern California, and funny thing, when you were doing your, your video at the, up in the California coast, I'll be there uh, probably tomorrow afternoon in that general area just below Carmel. So I'll be visiting some of that same area that you were, you know, uh, well, one that, that I already know about, but I'll be revisiting by being up there. But um, I've, I've been involved with the art world, and one of the things that you were talking about how uh, – you know how the church has used beauty you know when when i whenever i've gone into a, 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 a very old cathedral i always am i'm i'm left stunned by seeing the artistry and the tapestry of of the creation of using uh earthly skill sets and trades to glorify god and to, to make you know when you look at the ceiling to lift your eyes towards heaven and you see the beauty of what you know man's creation to glorify God can be. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, communities were built, literally built, you know, by people building the church. And I've wondered if, you know, because we've, you know, the modern church, especially in the evangelical side, is now more about uh, a concert, you know, a, a concert effect of, you know, a dark room with flashy lights and smoke screens. But then myself, I have been removed from that, and I've looked at more of the uh, the traditional way of the Orthodox traditions and the Catholic traditions of a whether it be a Latin mass or even if it's an English mass or uh, or otherwise. But the, the the conservative traditions being upheld rather than just following along with what the current fad is. That, that's that's why we have monuments like cathedrals to a past, to uh, transcendental values. They're always a testimony to transcendental values. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you for your for your contributions. Check out when you're going up uh, highway, highway one, you can get catch a glimpse of that house uh, right across from the uh, Tickle Pink Inn. If you just look off to the coastline, you can catch a glimpse. You can't get in, but you can catch a glimpse of it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Jones. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Hope, hope maybe one Great. day in the future. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. Okay. All right. Yes, right. it's six o'clock, Doctor Jones. Do you want to keep going or shut it down? We're going to take. Uh, we're going to take three. I got to. I got to do something. We're going to take three questions. Three written questions. Three written questions. All right. Let's see. It didn't seem to be many in the chat, but I think. I think I could find them. There was a couple. All right. Let's see. Avero the first asks, uh, Doctor Jones, what's your thought on the Lefebvreist Fabian Society? On the, the Society of Pius X? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're in schism. By the way, uh, I am. they're in schism. Uh, no one can be saved uh, if you jump out of the boat that is the church. Uh, if you're interested, I've said this to, to Bishop Williamson in person, uh, tried to bring him back uh, from the brink. 
Uh, and on August 1st, there's go I'm going to be having a discussion with Bishop Williamson. Is the, is the first or the fourth? I'm sorry, August 4th. Thank you for correcting me. I will be having a discussion with him. So if you want, uh, Mike will uh, give the information there. But uh, the, the, the bottom line here is don't follow the Latin mass out of the church. All right, next question. Let's see. Um, scrolling down. Ah, yes, uh, my question. From a traditional role mindset, let's see, uh, this is from Claire Marie. <clears throat> from a traditional role mindset, how may women best support the social values being attacked today? And more specifically, the Catholic values being attacked. Thank you. Okay, the, 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 uh, the vocation of the overwhelming majority of mankind is marriage. So uh, you didn't say whether you're married or not. So the most important thing that you or a young man can do is to uh, get married as soon as possible. Uh, uh, let's say in your 20s rather than later than that. Uh, form a union, form that family, and then understand the dynamics of the family, that uh, human sexuality uh, has one of its primary purposes uh, along with the union of the spouses is the produce, production of offspring. I, I just did a review of a memoir of a baby boomer who got swept away by sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I am a baby boomer. And uh, the thing that saved me uh, was getting married at, at the age of 21. My wife was 20 years old when we got married. That was in 1969. We set off for Woodstock on our honeymoon. Uh, honey, would you like to go to a concert? There's a concert up in New York. Oh, yeah, let's go to a concert. Well, we never made it. But that was symbolic of the way uh, marriage saved us from a lot of heartache. It will save anyone from heartache uh, if you enter into it properly and you uh, discipline yourself to live that kind of life. So the most important thing you can do uh, is to get married and raise children. There you are. All right, I guess I guess this is the, the last question here. Uh, very, very good question. Uh, what will this is from Brandon? What will Dr. Jones be speaking about at the Trad Forum in September? Tradforum.com. Beauty. Beauty. And could you quickly, uh, for everyone listening, describe the Trad Forum and what's going on? Yeah, I was honored. Uh, they had their, their meeting uh, in uh, Argos, Indiana, for some strange reason. There's nothing in Argos uh, particularly traditional. I thought it was going to be uh, Latin masters, but it turns out they're uh, largely a group of Orthodox uh, young people. And I was honored to be the only Catholic uh, speaking there. So I will be speaking on beauty and I will try and talk about that, a crucial intersection of the Orthodox and the Catholic worlds uh, when uh, Giotto uh, basically broke with Greek models, abandoned the icon and started painting uh, pictures that had stories and backgrounds and so on and so forth. That's just one of the things that I'm going to be talking about. All right. Well, I guess we can end it here. Uh, just a real, real quick question for you. Any, any word for the audience on the beauty book? I know it's been paused. It's, a, it's, it's still paused. If, if you want to pray for something, pray that this book gets printed. I, all of that bitching and moaning I did about the workforce in Michigan has a context here because I've been working with this firm for 30 years now, and suddenly they can't produce books. And I'm suspecting that it's, it's not uh, the ADL that's a problem here. I think it's, it's dope. I think the workforce in Michigan has been, been hollowed out. It's been ruined. 
uh, and uh, too many people in Michigan are smoking dope now. So say a prayer that the book can come out. All right. Get printed. Thank okay, you. Say a prayer. All right. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, for another uh, EMJ live chat and Telegram. These are going great. Uh, sorry if we didn't get to all the questions. There's always next week. Once again, I'm Mike Bajakis. I work for Dr. Jones. I'm the moderator here. This, these are being held uh, every Friday, God willing, at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, uh, I guess uh, don't forget to subscribe to our magazine, culturewars.com. And if you want to get any of Dr. Jones' books, go to fidelitypress.org. Uh, I guess that's it. Any last words, Dr. Jones, before we end the chat? God bless America. God, God bless America. All right. Thanks, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Okay.